Hello, and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, and I've got Darcy with me as usual. Darcy, how you doing this morning? Buddy, I am having a time. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I'm exhausted. Yeah, um, we. I started volleyball. We did more, started morning workouts. Oh, that's right. You're, like, coaching A month now? ago. Yeah. Um, so that's exhausting, and I'm working and trying to do this dissertation, and... Nice. Yeah, there's a lot going on. <laughs> I'm going to hang out with Andrea later today. I'll tell her I say hi. <laughs> One of our her. mutual volleyball buddies. Yeah. Um, I'm actually, in, I was in Anaheim yesterday and we stopped at a couple different places and I posted on social media and she was like, when are we going to hang out? <laughs> Yay. And I was like, anytime you want, girl. Yeah. So her daughter, I guess, plays now. Um, it's crazy that she already has a child old enough to be playing. I know. Her um, daughter's like in middle school or something. Yeah. Now? So crazy. she's meeting in the area, not too far from where I'm staying. And she's like, let's oh, nice. just hang out. And I was like, hell yeah. That's awesome. She is so much fun. Love her. Love yeah, her. Love her. Fun. Shout out to Andrea. What? <laughs> um, okay. Lots of updates we're going to talk about today. There's a lot going yes. on. Um, let's start out with a case that is one of our hotter cases that we've been talking about, and that is the update on the uh, Vicky and Casey White episode. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, so Casey White, I guess, is up for felony murder charge. They're charging him for the death of, of Vicky White. Yeah. Which is wild, right? Very interesting. I'm... So I'm not too familiar. Is he being charged by Alabama or by okay, Indiana? So let's unwrap this a little bit. So accused yeah. Lauderdale County Jail escapee Casey Cole White faces a felony murder charge in the death of jailer. Authorities say she removed him from the jail and spent 11 days on the run with him. She died May 9th in Evansville, Indiana. From what authorities said was a self-inflicted gunshot wound, right? Mm -hmm. um, after the two fugitives crashed during a police chase. But the indictment returned last month by a Lauderdale County grand jury. So it's Lauderdale, Lauderdale County. Okay. Says Casey White, in the course of furtherance of committing escape in the first degree, caused the death of Vicki White. Right. Okay. Who died from a gunshot wound to the head. Okay. So the Lauderdale district attorney says in a writ of arrest that was issued this last week, Casey White's defense attorney said White will enter a not guilty plea on the charge. He said he couldn't speculate on theories regarding Vicki White's death and why that led to the charge, but the defense will file appropriate uh, motions, including a motion for a copy of Vicki White's autopsy report. Yeah. Um, he already faces capital murder charges in the 2015 murder of Connie Ridgway, which we spoke about in that episode. Right. Um, but the pending charges in the Ridgway murder brought him to the Lauderdale County Jail uh, for court proceedings earlier this year. Then on the morning of April 29th, quick little recap, Vicki told colleagues she was taking him to a mental health evaluation and then they two disappeared. Uh, Evansville police and U.S. Marshals had the two under surveillance when they left the motel in, in a Cadillac and the chase began. It ended with a car crash in the ditch and Vicki White's death. Um, and it's so bizarre because by all accounts, according to law enforcement officials that were on the scene, this was a self-inflicted right. wound. So how can he be charged with murder? I'm guessing because of the all of the actions leading up to her shooting herself. Well, we're, I think the the main way they look at it as um, in the terms of criminal proceedings is if it had not been for the escape, right. would she have killed herself? And right. is there a causation that leads to authorities believing he had a hand in that? Right. And so did you say, is it capital charges that they're, they're, they're charging I believe it's capital murder one? charges. Okay. So, so in the commission of all of these other yep. crimes a, being the escape and the being on the run and all of this stuff that resulted in her death. That's where they're getting it from. That's interesting. Oh, the capital murder, sorry, the capital murder charges are related to his earlier 2015 murder. But oh, he's okay. facing so this a is not felony capital. murder charge felony in the murder. case okay. of the death of Vicki White. So okay. we will keep all of you guys posted on that one. It should be interesting to see how that plays out. I, I mean, he's already going to jail for life. I mean, he escaped yeah. and... I think maybe they're just trying to get more uh, ammunition to give him the death penalty. Probably. That wouldn't surprise me. Um, 
Alabama's very big on that. I'd be kind of surprised. I guess they're going to go through with it because it was the death of a law enforcement officer. So I guess they're like going to push it through. But also like, it's very obvious that she planned that escape. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and they're not saying that he shot her because by all accounts, he was the one driving and she was on the phone with 911 saying she had a gun to her head. So like, it's not... The question is not who pulled the no. trigger from from what it sounds like. Um, I think that's so interesting, that's, though, because I think yeah. people are going to read that and automatically think he shot her and that's what they're charging him. Right. With. But it's the other it's thing that I found that. interesting from that article was that it said, like, he basically showed no emotion when he was told that she had died from her. Which to me was a little shady. I. But not at all surprising. I mean, to me, it's, it's, yeah, it's shady, but it's not at all surprising. Like, of course he doesn't care. He, he never, her. like, he didn't, yeah. he never cared. Like, that was the whole thing. Like, yeah, maybe he thought he cared. Maybe he thought he was in love because he called her his wife, whatever, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Is that but like, no, that's not like real, it's not a real emotional, like, relationship that they have, but just because of the nature of the relationship being one person is a prisoner and the other one's a prison guard. Like, you can't, there's not a, there's a power dynamic there. So, like, of course he didn't care. So if you want to um, hear more details on that case, it's episode 175, and we posted that back in May. Yeah, we posted that back when they were still on the run, right? And then we posted updates. Yeah. 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 So, um... Next thing I want to talk about is I guess there's an update in the Mara Murray case. Did you hear about that? We haven't covered that one yet. It's we have a script ready. We haven't recorded it yet. Yeah, that that's a bear of a case. Like it's that's the reason we haven't covered it yet is because it's a big one. There are so many twists and turns and updates and false leads and I mean it's just it's a it's a monster of a case. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I guess they started another search for her. Yeah. They conducted a ground search in New Hampshire on Wednesday to, um, in connection with her reported missing case in 2004. Mm-hmm. It went underway in the area off Route 112 in the towns of Landoff and Easton, according to the New Hampshire Attorney General and the New Hampshire State Police. Murray's sister, Julie, told the local newspaper that her family's hoping the new search will result in a resolution of the case, but they have learned not to get too hopeful. In a statement, um, the p- authorities say the search activity is not the result of new information in the case. Instead, of it's part of an ongoing investigative process and will consist of a more extensive search surrounding areas that had previously been searched in a more limited fashion. Yeah, so very, 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 very briefly, Maura Murray was a college student in Massachusetts. She was 21 in, when she disappeared. In 2004, she told her professors... And her job where she worked at the university that there had been a death in her family and she was leaving to go be part of the funeral or part of the arrangements. That was not true. She made arrangements to find a hotel in New Hampshire and she took off by herself. Um, Then she ended up having a crash into like a snowbank on this rural highway in New Hampshire, that Highway 112 that they're talking about. And... um, a resident of the area kind of pulled up behind her after the crash, asked if she needed help. She says, no, the police are already on their way. He carries on and goes to his house, not too far from the scene of the accident and calls 911 because at the time that area in 2004 did not have very good cell service. And by the time the the police actually responded, she was gone and she has been missing ever since. Yeah. So there's a lot of twists and turns with it. There's a lot of people that may or may not be involved. Um, the area that's being searched is about five miles from where her car was found. Yeah. So they did do like a, you know, they brought in a search dog and the dog like followed a scent for a while and then lost the scent. So they think she got in somebody's car. It, it Like, it's just a whole, there's a, there are entire podcast seasons about this. Um, there's books about this. It's one of the like We're very first episodes. Eventually, of, <laughs> yeah, it's one of the very first episodes of of that investigation discovery disappeared show I ever saw. So I've been I've been fascinated with it ever since because it's 
I don't know why, why she lied. Like, there's there's just a lot going on with it. But um, we will cover it one day. But, yes, there is a new search going on. And I hope that they find something. I'm kind of of the opinion because this was kind of around the same time as the Tara Grinstead case. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you remember that from Georgia. Yep. Mm-hmm. And there was another po- There was a podcast about that, too. And the way that that one kind of resolved, it was kind of a... It wasn't as enthralling, I think, as, like... The resolution wasn't as enthralling as the mystery of it. Um, and I think that's kind of going to be the case with Maura Murray, unfortunately. So I, um, I'm i glad that they're doing the search in the, in the near area um, and searching more extensively in the area because I do kind of think it's m- most likely that she kind of walked off into the woods. And it was, like, February in New Hampshire, so... Um, that's kind of what I think, but but I don't know. We'll see. I hope they find some answers. Well, it's an 18-year-old case. Um, yeah. The worst that can happen is they search and they are able to uh, reassure the family that, yes, indeed, we did a more comprehensive search right. and we didn't find anything. Right. But anyone with any information is asked to call the New Hampshire Cold Case Unit. It's 603-223-3648 or email them at coldcaseunit at dos.nh.gov. We'll put that into the show notes. Yeah. Interesting case. Really, really like a lot going on there. Gabby Petito update on that one. Yeah, man. So evidently this is interesting. I heard quite a bit of new stuff since we recorded this case and the Gabby Petito case was, we covered off on Gabby Petito, October 30th, 2021. And it's episode 151. And -hmm. there's been a lot of stuff going on with this. I I think we covered last when they found Brian Landry, but I guess the lawsuit now uh, with Gabby Petito's parents against Brian Landry's parents has now moved forward. But one of the biggest things that I thought was interesting that's happened recently in this case is they released Brian Landry's notebook. And um, a lot of people thought this was really interesting, but evidently in the notebook, he talked about how... He was, you know, very happy and in love with her and they were having such a good time and they had this amazing relationship and that on the day of her death that they had gone for a hike and she had fallen and hurt herself and it was a mercy killing that she begged him to kill her. And that's what he put in his notebook. Right. Which I thought was BS, but. Well, it is BS because, I mean, there's no reason if that's the case. Let, let's let's give him the benefit of the doubt for like a half second here and say that maybe she did hurt herself. If that's the case, you call in the park rangers, you call 911, you call somebody to get assistance, you don't kill somebody. Well, he said for some reason they didn't have their phones, which first red flag. Sure. They're social media influencers. They take pictures yeah, of everything. Yeah, they were all over. They were posting all over. Yeah, that's And second anyway. was that he said he couldn't get, he knew he couldn't get her back to the van, that they were too far from the van for him to be able to get her back. And he thought she'd be dead so, by the time he got back anyway. I call BS on that because why wouldn't you try? Yeah, it's just... You know what I mean? Um, It's clearly a lie. It's clearly all made up. It's it's something he wrote after the fact because he came home and spent time with his parents and then spoke to Gabby's parents and said, no, I don't know where she is. So, like, there was no attempt to tell them what happened. There's no attempt to care at all about this young woman's family. So, no, this is all a lie. And... If I'm not mistaken, so they the, her parents are suing his parents for knowingly. I'm gonna talk about that. Just oh, okay. Go the ahead. lawsuit alleges that Brian Landry's family knew about Gabby Petito's murder. Um, hang on. So it was officially allowed to move forward, and it is a civil lawsuit, just so people know. Mm-hmm. Um, but several months after an autopsy ruled that Gabby Petito was killed by strangulation, so that was the big thing, the autopsy revealed that, mm-hmm. the family of Gabby sought to bring a lawsuit against the family of Brian. Um, the Florida Circuit judge now has ruled the lawsuit can advance, according to CNN. But the uh, lawsuit says that Petito's parents believe the Landrys failed to act, including not providing information on where Petito was or that she had passed away. Last year, as Petito's case gripped the nation, the Landrys released a statement through their attorney on September 14th of last year that they hoped that the search for Miss Petito is successful and that Miss Petito is reunited with her family. That's what the Landry family had said when, in fact, they believe the Petito family believes that they knew all along that she wasn't coming back. So they had been given false hope. 
Um, the Landry's contend that their statement is not outrageous as a matter of law, which the Petito say, this is crazy. They knew full well she was dead. Why would they do that? Um, at oral argument, they suggested it merely was a plain statement. Plaintiffs, in contrast, countered during oral argument that statements knowing that the statement was knowingly false, designed to create false hope, and issued by the Landrys, who knew that Gabby was dead and where her body was located. Carol wrote that the statement itself was not outrageous, but became problematic when juxtaposed with the other conduct in the case. Because the Landry's statement by their attorney in the context of the unique facts of this case is objectively outrageous, the court concludes that the plaintiffs have, sta have stated causes of action for intentional infliction of emotional distress against the Landry's. So that's the charge, intentional infliction of mm -hmm. emotional distress. And the court denies the Landry's motion to dismiss. Um, the Landry parents have until July 15th, which was this last week, to respond to the allegations, which of course they did and said, this is BS, we're fighting this. Right. Um, against these charges. Uh, Petito's parents are seeking more than $30,000 in damages for the mental anguish they suffered due to the alleged deceit of the Landrys. The lawsuit filed earlier this year alleges parents helped their son hide the homicide and were also making plans to help him leave the country. Hmm. The lawyer that represents the Landrys argued the law did not oblige them to disclose any information on Gabby Petito and they had a First Amendment right not to speak, which is a good counter, right? That is a good counter. And I think it's going to be interesting to prove how they knew for sure that she was dead. They they knew something, right? Yeah. But how did they how did how they, they know for sure she was dead when I think they they're going to subpoena that phone records and they're going to subpoena text and right. that's maybe going to let uh, shed some light on this. But the update comes about two weeks after Brian Landry's confession was revealed in his notebook, in, including the belief that he had ended Petito's life to be merciful. Um, he said. Quote, I don't know the extent of Gabby's injuries, only that she's in extreme pain, he wrote in the notebook. But from the moment I decided I took away her pain, I knew I couldn't go on without her. Um, so like an extended period of time passed between the time that he killed her and the time that he killed himself. Enough time for him to drive back from Utah to Florida, hang out with his parents, go camping and then go into the ever like to that park by himself. Yeah, so it's no, it's not a thing. No. Yeah, I don't believe no. it. Not for one freaking minute. You love someone that much, you're not yeah. going to mercy kill them. You're going to do everything you have in your power yeah. to save that person. That's BS. Plus, when you put it in context with the right. previous abuse that he was On caught video. giving. Yeah. yeah. So, and police also suggest that when somebody is strangled like that, that's not the first time. And, and her cause of death was strangulation. Typically in abuse cases like that, domestic abuse cases, if mm -hmm. somebody's strangled and eventually dies, right. it's usually not the first time somebody attempts yeah. strangulation on their partner. It's usually multiple times have already occurred leading up to like either she passes out or he could be a woman as well. Um, this person passes mm -hmm. out and there's a history of them taking out their frustration in this manner with a right. strangulation type of activity. And th they said this was definitely not the first time he had and done And if you like go that. back to our John Benet Ramsey case, we talked about the different ways of strangulate methods of strangulation. Yeah. And there's probably something in her autopsy that tells them the manner she was strangulated. Yeah. So was it somebody, was it with something from behind? Was it somebody on top of her? Things like that, that can be, Dis that can be discerned from her autopsy. Yeah. Um, I mean, it'll be interesting. I they for sure knew something was up. I it'll be. I think it'll be difficult to prove how they knew when they knew. Um, but they definitely covered up and let him go off into the park yeah, and kill himself. I think it's also important to note that in a civil case versus a criminal case, a, right. a, a criminal case is the has to be a preponderance of the evidence, right? So it has to be like 99.9% of the evidence, yeah. right? Whereas the civil case is just more likely than not. So 51%. Right. So if you can convince 50%, yeah. 51% of that jury that you're, you're good to go, then you'll win that right. case. Right. There's a, a very much a lower bar in a civil case, which makes yeah. this something that could potentially be won by the Landrys or by the and, Petitos. And I think particularly given that the public sentiment right now about yeah. domestic violence, there's a good likelihood that they could win this case. I agree. And the the the, the note the amount they're suing for, I think, is also noteworthy, too, because it's thirty thousand dollars. It's not an extreme amount. It's not like two hundred no. million dollars. It is enough to say 
on the record that they did something they did wrong. They have been punished in a manner. $30,000 is probably going to be significant for them to pay out. But it's not so much that it's not like it's not millions of dollars to where they could never actually receive that money, you know. Um, and it so really it's shows, and it's something, and it's meaningful, exactly. and I think that's important. That's what I was just gonna say. Yeah, uh, it's really important to note that they're not trying to punish this family; they're just trying to get justice for their daughter, right? And, and, and get it on important. the record, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then I think as well that is also a helpful tool in a criminal case if you can depose the uh, parties in a civil case mm-hmm. and then use that for the criminal case. So um, against the parents, possibly. So I don't. Yeah. We'll, we'll see how that plays out. Um, the other big one that hit this week was the Theranos trial. Um, yeah. We covered Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos in episode 84 back in July of 2020. But I guess uh, Sonny Ramesh was convicted of fraud. So both parties have now been convicted. We're waiting on sentencing. But I guess this last, uh, it was like a week ago, mm-hmm. Theranos executive Ramesh Sonny Balwani um, was convicted of collaborating with uh, Elizabeth Holmes in a massive fraud involving blood testing. Uh, the 12 jurors found Balwani guilty on 12 felony counts of defrauding both Theranos investors and the patients who relied on wildly unreliable blood tests that could have jeopardized their health. He said mm. impassively, according to witnesses, as the verdicts were read in San Jose. He blinked frequently, but rarely looked at the seven men or seven women and five men who convicted him. The outcome puts Balwani and Holmes in similar situations. Holmes was only convicted of four counts of investor fraud and conspiracy, mm-hmm. um, but she tearfully accused Balwani of sexually and emotionally abusing her while the two were romantically involved. Yeah. But an attorney for Balwani has vehemently denied these charges. Holmes, 38, and Balwani, 57, face up to 20 years in prison each. After the verdicts, the U.S. District Judge Edward Davila raised Balwani's bail to 750000 from 500000 and set November 15th as his sentencing date. Hmm. Holmes is free on $500,000 bail. She's set to be sentenced September 26th. So that, that one's coming up here pretty quick. Um, the dual convictions represent a resounding victory for federal prosecutors who seized on the Theranos case and a rare opportunity to hold ambitious entrepreneurs accountable for engaging in techno- uh, technological hyperbole while uh, pursuing fame and fortune. So they're really looking at this as a te- almost like a test case. Yeah. You can't lie. You can't stretch the truth so far that people come to depend on that in an investment type of a scheme. Look out, Elon Musk. So they hope to discourage the practice of making bold and unproven promises about still um, products that haven't been proven. So it's a startup strategy called fake it till you make it, right? Yeah. Um, we're gratified by the jury's hard work and attentiveness to the evidence presented. This was a complex case. Mm-hmm. Like that jury had a really tough um, road ahead of them. Yeah. Um, Balwani did not respond to requests for comments as he left court with his legal team. After the verdicts were read and the jury was dismissed, he walked over to his two brothers who were sitting behind him for a solemn discussion, and the three stood quietly, heads bowed. Um, While Holmes insinuated during her her trial that Balwani manipulated her into making poor choices, Balwani's lawyers explicitly sought to shift all the blame for any misconduct squarely onto Holmes. As part of his defense, the lawyers pointed out that Holmes was not only CEO, but also a Silicon Valley star who who persuaded investors to pour nearly $1 billion into Theranos. She boasted that her company had found a way to scan for hundreds of potential diseases with a device called the Edison that could test just a few drops of blood taken with a finger prick. The technology could have revolutionized healthcare, but as it turned out, this device never worked properly and provided faulty test, resor- test results. Yeah. Um, but after committing about $15 million of his own money to bolster Theranos and then becoming the company's chief operating officer in 2010, Balwani eventually oversaw the blood testing lab that was delivering the inaccurate results and supervised the Walgreens deal. This crucial detail may have influenced the jury to convict him of defrauding patients while another jury acquitted Holmes on the same charges. So he put his own money into it, yeah. picked quite a bit of his own money, and he took over specific projects. So that was like the balancing point. So, um, yeah, I'm guessing they like... That, that he, once he found out that it didn't work, like he was trying yes. to recoup his investment. I, I think absolutely. But he had also prepared many yeah. of the projections about Theranos's future revenue that helped the company raise money from investors and provide and proved to be Whoops. grossly exaggerated. So he personally created these projections. 
Yeah. Unlike Holmes, who spent seven days on the witness stand during her trial, Balwani didn't testify on his own defense, which is a smart move. They tell you they never want to do probably, that. Probably, yeah. Uh, the reason he didn't testify is probably because he knows he doesn't have Elizabeth's charisma, which, duh. Um, <laughs> Balwani's decision not to tell his side of the story left jurors to make their own decision based solely on the evidence, which included testimony from witnesses who depicted him as often abrasive. Just because the jurors didn't hear from Balwani didn't mean they didn't form opinions about him. His defense mirrored Holmes's in one key aspect. Both depicted the pair as tireless workers who believed so deeply in Theranos' technology that they never sold their respective stakes in the Palo Alto company. At one point in 2014, Holmes' fortune was estimated at $4.5 billion, while Balwani's were valued at $500 million. But everything began to unravel in late 2015 after a series of explosive articles in the Wall Street Journal exposed rampant problems with Theranos' technology. And by May 2016, Holmes had dumped Balwani as her business and romantic partner. Holmes is now the mother of an infant son, fathered by her current partner, Billy Evans, who was by her side through most of the trial. So this this is be interesting how this plays out and what kind of sentence these guys get. Yeah. Right. OK. Ricky Martin. Oh, boy. That's a doozy. God, man. I don't know what's going on with this one, but evidently um, People Magazine blew up this bad boy here recently. Mm -hmm. Um, He faces 50 years in prison after new developments arise in domestic dispute. Um, Shortly after denying allegations made against him in a domestic violence restraining order that was filed in Puerto Rico, Ricky Martin's accuser has been revealed. After the complaint was made anonymously under Law 54, known as the Domestic Abuse Prevention and Intervention Act, Martin's brother, Eric Martin, revealed the victim as the artist's nephew, Dennis Yadiel Sanchez. Mm -hmm. Under the allegations made by his 21-year-old nephew, it said that he ended a seven-month relationship with Martin and that the singer did not take it well consistently reaching out to him and loitering outside of his home. Sanchez added that there was physical and psychological abuse that occurred during the relationship, and the legal battle is set to begin July 21st. Under Puerto Rican law, allegations of incest are taken very seriously. If proven guilty, the artist could be sentenced to up to 50 years in prison. The allegations against Ricky Martin that led to the protection order are completely false and fabricated, According to Martin's representatives, we are very confident that when the true facts come out in this matter, our client, Ricky Martin, will be fully vindicated. What do you think about this one? Do you think it's real? No. It's mainly because of... That's a real stab in the back by a family member, though, if it is fake. It is. And so I don't know if you saw this, but today or maybe yesterday, um, Ricky Martin's brother, and I believe it's a different brother. I don't believe it's the brother that is the father of the nephew, has said that this young man is deeply troubled and that he is making it up and that he has done stuff like this to the family before. Um, so the That's Ricky sad. Martin's brother has come out with a very, yeah, a very vigorous defense about this. Um, and he says that, um, uh, He's, he believes his the, their nephew suffers from mental health problems, but he says that he's estranged from the family and he knows what kind of hurt he's inflicted on other family members before all of this, but he didn't go into that. So there have been no charges. That's that's the specific part. So the first part. This isn't the first time this kid, this young man has done this, is what the, the main takeaway is here. That's what the brother is saying, and we don't know the nature of what else he has said. But apparently he has made other claims against family members or maybe Ricky Martin, I'm not sure. But it's but it's it's something that is I apparently this young man is, is, is troubled. So I do not think that this is necessarily something that Ricky Martin is involved in. I hope it's not, but it's important to note that this is a restraining order and there have been no charges. Right against Ricky Martin yet. So that's kind of a big thing to note. Like, they may grant the restraining order. I don't know. They have to have something to grant the restraining order, but it may be on false pretenses or something. I don't I don't know. I'm just, I'm a little hesitant to, to believe that this is true. Yeah, I'm going to reserve judgment until I hear the evidence behind it. Sure. I mean, who knows? 
who knows? You never know anymore. Because sure. people that may yeah. seem like they're That's true. very, you know, above board end up doing crazy things occasionally. That so I'm going to reserve judgment until I hear the evidence. Um, and that comes out and plays itself out. But um, yeah. Okay. So unruly behavior closes down Knott's Berry Farm. <laughs> this was yesterday. Oh, my gosh. So okay. Knott's Berry Farm is this theme park in Southern California. And it was shut down yesterday. They attributed the closure to unruly behavior and altercations between teenage guests. So do you have any idea how much it takes to close a a theme park down? Like, there's got to be some major stuff going on for them to close a a major theme park down. This park is located in Buena Park, California, a city in Orange County, and it was trending on social media amid reports of the closure. The official Twitter account for Knott's later posted a message addressing the issue, saying the safety of Knott's Berry Farms guests and associates is always our top priority. On Saturday evening, the decision was made to close the park three hours early due to unruly behavior and altercations involving a number of teenagers. This behavior does not align with our park values and was not the experience we wanted any guests to have while visiting Knott's Berry Farm. In a message shared to social media, the Buena Park Police Department said that multiple fights in the park were to blame for the shutdown. According to the message, a number of 911 calls reportedly heard shots fired. But officers determined that no shooting had occurred. Nonetheless, police advised staying away from the area for the time being. Knott's Berry Farm reopened as scheduled on Sunday per its social media message. But like, holy moly, that's probably why they shut it down. Because they can't mess around with mass shooting stuff now. They have to immediately take action. For sure. I'd be so pissed if I were, I mean, thankfully there were no actual shots fired, but I, but now knowing that, I would be so pissed if I were just like at Knott's Berry Farm with my family and all of a sudden they're like, you gotta go. Yeah. I wonder if they refunded people's money or if they just kicked I, them out. I doubt it. You know how many people that would be? That would be a logistical nightmare. I don't know. But like, um... Because you would have to prove you were in the park at the time that it was shut down, not... That you had a ticket for that day. If you want to have a fight and, like, do that crap, go do it somewhere else. Don't do it at a public place like that where there's a park where people are... Just don't be stupid. Yeah, it's just... It's ridiculous and dumb. Yeah. Um, Don't do it. <laughs> okay. Don't do it. Um, Next one that I found that I thought was particularly interesting is there's a huge class action lawsuit right now against Skittles. Did you hear about this? I did not hear about this. It says this. they're unsafe for consumers because they contain a what? known toxin. So evidently... How long has this been going on? Because I've been eating Skittles for a while. It's been going on for a while, but Mars is the company that makes Skittles. And Mm -hmm. the lawsuit alleges that Skittles contain a known toxin that makes the rainbow candies unfit for human consumption. This lawsuit is a class action one. It was filed in the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of California this last week. Attorneys for this person that was the main one behind this say that Skittles were unsafe for consumers because they contained heightened levels of titanium dioxide. Mars Inc. uses titanium dioxide to produce Skittles' well-known array of artificial colors. In 2016, the candy maker publicly shared its intention to remove titanium dioxide from its products in the coming years. The Thursday complaint noted that titanium dioxide is still used in the products like Skittles today. In a statement, by Mars made this last week. They said, we do not comment on pending litigation. Our use of titanium dioxide complies with FDA regulations. USA Today reached out to Mars for additional comments on Saturday. And according to the FDA's code of federal regulations, the color additive titanium dioxide may be safely used for coloring foods generally, but there are some restrictions. It cannot exceed the quantity um, of 1% of the food's weight. While the regulated use of titanium dioxide in food products is still legal in the U.S., it has been banned in multiple other countries, including Europe, throughout Europe. Um, In May 2021, the European Food Safety Authority announced that titanium dioxide can no longer be considered safe as a food additive, noting the importance of genotoxicity concerns. You know what that is? I do not. The ability of the chemicals to damage genetic information like DNA. Oh, interesting. So after oral ingestion, the absorption of titanium dioxide particles is low. However, they can accumulate in the body over time. Um, Interesting. In the complaint, the attorneys argue that in addition to the continued use of titanium dioxide in its products like Skittles, Mars has not adequately warned consumers of the health risk. Based on omissions, a reasonable consumer would expect the product would be safely purchased and consumed 
as marketed and sold. However, the products are not safe and pose a significant health risk to unsuspecting consumers, yet neither before nor at the time of the purchase does defendant notify customers that the products are unsafe to consumers, contain heightened levels of titanium, titanium dioxide, and should otherwise be approached with caution. Hmm. The complaint also pointed to several Mars competitors who, according to the suit, do not use titanium dioxide to color their products like Sour Patch Kids and Nerds. In addition, um, Mars has other confectionery products like M&Ms that do not rely on titanium dioxide. Um, the lawsuit seeks damages to later be determined in the sum at trial for fraud and multiple violations of California consumer protection laws. That's an interesting one. My guess is it'll probably end up getting dismissed uh, yeah, or settled I, out of court. I mean, if anything, it'll make the FDA kind of be more um, vigilant on what they have as being legal versus approved versus not approved. But if it's currently approved by the FDA, I don't see a legal, I don't see how that this could be something that could get anywhere in court. Yeah, me either. And I know that there are different rules in like what is allowed in foods for in Europe versus the, like the, uh, the U.S. because like they do have some like sodas and stuff like that that are not as brightly colored because they aren't allowed to use the like artificial coloring that we use in the states. Yeah. For those reasons, so like that's probably a smart thing, um, but I would be surprised if this actually goes anywhere. Yeah, I I don't think so. It it probably won't. Yeah. Um, interesting case though, nonetheless. So if you eat Skittles, you need to be aware. It <laughs> also kind of sounds like if you eat Skittles, like in crazy amounts like if you have a like if you're all you're eating is skittles well the thing is it's cumulative so if you're eating one pack a day that's gonna start adding up yeah but if you're also eating one pack a day i think the problems you're gonna end up with are gonna be more like you're gonna end up with problems sooner than you're, you're gonna end up with problems because of the titanium dioxide yeah well just the fact that you're eating sugar like that every day and all the other right you're gonna end up with cavities you're gonna end up with a lot of other health issues that I think probably will show themselves before the issues with titanium dioxide. Yeah, uh, most likely. Would be would be my um, guess. The other big update we have is the Murdoch case. Buddy, do we? So... Why don't you walk us through the updates on that one? Yeah, so Alex Murdoch of the South Carolina prosecutor fame. His family was prosecutors going years and years and generations back. His wife and son were murdered, and then he paid somebody to murder him, allegedly. So he has been now indicted for the murders of his wife and son. Which is interesting. Yes. So he is also, the the once prominent, now disbarred attorney, was indicted Thursday on two counts of murder and two counts of possession of a weapon during the commission of a violent crime. So they're not saying that he pulled the trigger, but what they are saying, so Maggie and their youngest son, Paul, were found shot to death at the family's property in Islandton, about an hour north of Hilton Head. Alex Murdoch placed a 911 call reporting the shooting, saying he had just returned home and discovered their bodies. So he's saying he was not there, but they are saying that they have evidence that he was there, and part of that is blood spatter evidence. So, Which is interesting in itself, right? It's very interesting because, so on all on top of all the things that he he's charged with defrauding, you know, he's got a bunch n- of them. Um, like there's a lot customers for millions of dollars. He's he tried to to have somebody shoot him, uh, kill him, so that his oldest son would inherit the multi million dollar life. It's a whole mess of a case. So. Um, but with but specifically with this new information says that the 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 investigation into the death of his wife and son um, said that blood spatter found on Murdoch's clothing could place him at the scene of the killings of his wife and son. The blood spatter could place Murdoch in close contact with the with at least one of the victims when they were killed. High velocity spatter is associated with the use of a particular weapon such as a rifle, and it creates a specific blood pattern. Wouldn't use at a close range. So let's talk about blood spatter because I'm pretty sure we've discussed this before. It is a questionable um, science, forensic science. It's considered a junk science now, isn't it? Mm, so, no. It's not considered a junk science because the, fl- if the fluid dynamics 
of blood spatter evidence are actually very sound. It's the people who testify as blood spatter experts that have been exaggerating their expertise, um, specifically on the federal level. So you've had a lot of FBI forensic scientists go out and testify that they're experts and they do not have the background, the proper background and fluid dynamics. So the, the actual science is there, but you need somebody that's actually trained in fluid dynamics, and I am not that person. But there is a difference between, I mean, I we all can tell that there's a difference between, like, if you cut yourself and your hand drips blood straight down versus a high-velocity blood splatter. Right. We, can, we, we know that there's a difference between that, and that is seems to be what they're saying they're found on his clothing. But that's not the only thing that they have, which is very important. So in addition, a phone belonging to Paul Murdaugh was recovered on his body, and that contained video and audio of Alex talking with his wife close to the time that she and Paul were killed. So he is not seen in the video, but it is his voice, and he's heard speaking with her, and that recording has a timestamp. So that seems to be kind of they buried the lead on saying they had the blood spatter evidence as what's tying him to the case, when really they have this... yeah recorded conversation that shows him there before the time of the murder. So the other thing so is that he apparently allegedly lured his wife to the cabin on the day that he was murdered. He texted her to meet them at the to meet him at the family's cabin because he said that his 81-year-old father was in failing health and that she and that she needed to see him before he died. Um, so this would be she needed to see her father-in-law. Um, and they say that, um, Maggie initially declined to meet Alex at the family home, suggesting they meet at the hospital. Um, there were rumors of they were hitting a rough patch and discuss, discussing divorce at the time of this, of the, their deaths. Um, but ultimately she considered to meet at the property, planning to follow Alex to the hospital in her own vehicle. But... On the way to the house, she allegedly messaged a friend saying something about her husband's behavior felt, quote, fishy. And the law enforcement said, uh, source said that he, she also texted, quote, mm. he's up to something to her friend while, while she's on the way. So when Maggie arrived at the scene, she left her car running and walked to the dog kennels on the estate where her son, Paul, was taking photos of a dog he was watching for a friend. It's unclear what happened next, but Maggie and Paul were gunned down close to the dog kennels. Paul, the son's body, was found half in, half out of the dog kennels. Paul was shot in the chest and the head with a shotgun at, at close range. Maggie was shot multiple times, including one shot in the back and additional shots while she was lying on the ground. So they have not released who they say the, if they believe the gunman is, but he is being basically charged with um, murder because they're saying that he wow. was there at the time. So they still don't know who actually pulled the trigger, but... They are still saying that he is responsible. And this is, he faces more, in addition to being disbarred from for all of this and dr the multiple drug charges and this, that, and the other, he faces more than 85 criminal charges in addition to the murder counts. Hmm. So, wow. yes. Yeah, so this is a, it's, it's a, it's a can of worms and it's, it's, it seems like a long time coming. It seemed pretty obvious from the beginning that he was involved with his, with his family's death. The extent to that. We don't know yet, but that's probably going to come out in the trial. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, buried the lead a little bit on saying that they have blood spatter evidence tying him to the crime when really they have a cell phone conversation rec recorded of him talking. Yeah. Crazy. At the scene. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's going down. So, He's going down. Yes. Um, yeah. Cool. I mean, not cool, but another update right. uh, is the uh, Moira Wilson case which was episode 179. Oh, yeah. Um, I guess their details are coming out about how the uh, Caitlin Armstrong evaded authorities. Yes, which I think I want to point out before you even get into this that I, we nailed it yeah. with our speculation. Absolutely. But it took a six-hour drive through Costa Rica for Caitlin Armstrong to finally admit her identity to authorities. She'd been on the run for 43 days after being accused of fatally shooting professional cyclist Moira Wilson. Um, but she had a remarkably different look than she did when she fled Austin, Texas. So the once blonde, curly-haired amateur cyclist and yoga teacher now boasted a dark brown bob. Her nose was covered in a bandage from what she claimed was a surfboard accident. But people say she got plastic surgery. 
Um, despite mm. the stark cosmetic changes, fake passports, and multiple aliases, and stints in several Costa Rican towns after fleeing the country, Armstrong was finally caught uh, flee after fleeing the country. She was caught June 30th, thanks to the U.S. Marshals. Um, she was exhausted when she was arrested, they say, um, but she didn't give up her true identity. It took a little bit of time for her to reveal herself. Her lengthy holdout was one of several details the U.S. Marshals revealed last week about the 34-year-old's capture and arrest. In addition to facing charges for the May 11th killing of 25-year-old Anna Mora Wilson, Armstrong also faces a charge of unlawful flight to evade prosecution. Duh. Mm -hmm. This whole thing began May 11th when authorities found Wilson, a Vermont native, who was in Austin for an upcoming race, fatally shot in an apartment. The following day, authorities went to Strickland's house and found a 2012 Jeep Cherokee with a large bicycle mount uh, on the trailer hitch of the vehicle and a a luggage rack mounted on the roof and chrome around the windows that appeared to be the same vehicle observed on surveillance footage. Armstrong was briefly interviewed by police, and then they discovered she had an open misdemeanor warrant on a theft of services charge after she'd allegedly skipped out on a Botox bill. Armstrong was confronted with video with video surveillance of her vehicle. She had no explanation as to why it was in the area and didn't make any denials of the statements presented to her. On May 13th, U.S. Marshals say that Armstrong sold her black Jeep Grand Cherokee to a CarMax dealership in South Austin for about $12,200. So that's the money she had Mm -hmm. to escape with, right? Yep. She then went to the Austin airport where she took a flight to Houston before boarding a connecting flight um, to LaGuardia Airport, New York. She'd used that fake passport. Which was was not a a fake passport in the sense of you pay somebody somebody for a fake ID. It was somebody else's passport, which is what we we guessed. Yeah. Yeah, which is interesting. Um, Authorities say that using a fraudulent passport, she boarded the U.S. Airlines flight to San Jose, Costa Rica. Um, The passport itself itself was authentic. It belonged to someone who looked very similar to her. She took a bus from the San Jose airport in Costa Rica hours away. In Costa Rica, she visited multiple Costa Rican citizens, frequenting more than a handful of hostels and yoga establishments to Hmm. avoid getting captured. At these locations, authorities say Armstrong used three main aliases, Ari Martin, Beth Martin, and Liz Martin. But while Armstrong apparently thought she was stumping investigators and finding a new community among other yogis, authorities say she tripped up after taking a bus from San Jose to Yaco Beach. During the trip, she left a paper trail using one of her aliases, giving local police a lead to ultimately track her down. Mm. Armstrong then fled to St. Teresa, where she stayed at Don john's lodge and taught yoga part-time under the alias ari martin the daily beast previously reached out to don's lodge a 50 dollars a night hostel popular among surf tourists but the establishment declined to provide any information on past and present guests local authorities eventually arrested armstrong at the hostel inside her lockbox authorities found two passports and a six thousand three hundred fifty dollar receipt for cosmetic surgery um, they declined to comment on the authenticity of the receipt and noted it does not have Armstrong's name. Duh. She wasn't going to use her real name. Right. Um, guests at the hostel where Armstrong was arrested told different uh, news shows that they saw Armstrong with bandages on her nose. And then she was just um, asking about how to get around cheaper when the police came. After her arrest, Wilson's family re- released a statement saying they were relieved to know this phase of uncertainty is now behind them and we can trust the justice will prevail. So she was actually dating down there, too. Just living her very best life. Man, she moves quick. Yeah. So she was teaching yoga, so she had a source of income. Like, she was jamming. Yeah. Ready to go. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Um, And then one final, we'll see how that plays out. We'll keep you guys posted when the trial actually happens on that one. Um, And then one final article that I found that I wanted to talk about today. This This is kind of humorous. Okay. In a way. But I don't know if you saw this one. Um, charged with illegally practicing law, Miami man says he's Rosa Parks of mentally ill. I'm sorry? <laughs> so this article came out uh, a few weeks ago, but I saw it and captured it because I just thought it was so interesting. So online, Ian Anthony Medina has boasted of his legal skills, graduating from Emory Law School, working with high-level prosecutors, and gaining valuable legal experience in Florida which I think the, the fake doctor we talked about was in Florida, too, I think. Yeah. He even posted a photo of his Florida bar card. But prosecutors say Medina or Medina, however you choose to say it, is no lawyer. 
The bar card is phony, and he ripped off clients who thought he was licensed. When one woman complained to the bar, Medina actually sent a threatening text to her saying, you will die today, B-I-T-C-H, he wrote, according to an arrest warrant. Love your attorney. That's what the text said. From your attorney, yeah. he signed it? He said, you will die today, B-I-T-C-H, love your attorney. Love your attorney. I mean, if that doesn't say mental illness, I don't know what does. Um, Medina or Medina, 28 of Miami Lakes, was arrested last weekend and charged with practicing law without a license. Organized scheme to defraud, grand theft, and making false statements. All of these are felonies. It seems like witness intimidation should probably be on there, too. A little bit. A little bit. Um, he has since posted bond and left jail. Um, people have been reaching out to him, and he says he will represent himself. I was just about to say, I hope he represents himself. <laughs> yes. Um he admitted practicing law, but said he'd been wrongfully denied his license under the Americans with Disabilities Act because he suffers from schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. It doesn't interfere with my practice of law at all, he said. I'm competent. I'm qualified. I graduated. Medina says he plans on filing a civil lawsuit to get the criminal case, the criminal charges dismissed. He says he sees himself as an activist for people suffering from mental illness. He also claims that for years he's heard the voice of God saying, I'm the second Jesus Christ and the Messiah, and he compares himself to civil rights icon Rosa Parks. She sat on a bus even though it was illegal under the law, he said. I stood firm and practiced law. The Miami-Dade State's Attorney's Office began its investigation into Medina after clients began complaining to the Florida Bar. The bar reported that the bogus lawyer had posted his phony bar card, which used the license number of another attorney who did not know Medina. One man also told authorities he'd reached out to several attorneys to handle a personal injury claim, but none took the case. In May, out of the blue, Medina calls him, saying he'd take the case. The man wound up sending him $3,500, but then Medina did no work and stopped all communication, according to the state attorney. Another client told Fielder she had found Medina on a website called Request Legal Help and paid him five and paid him five hundred dollars for help with an elder law matter. She reported him to the bar as well, and he later sent the threatening text, mm -hmm. which is what I said earlier. Um, Medina told the Herald he did nothing wrong. They didn't pay me in full, so I didn't have to perform the work in full. Medina said. Don't think that's how that works. No. <laughs> I mean, don't they have like retainers and stuff? Uh, yeah. But this is ridiculous. The Medina family has been in the news before. Evidently, his half-brother, Derek Medina, made worldwide news in 2013 when he killed his wife inside their South Miami home and immediately posted a photo of her body on Facebook. Oh. He was later convicted and sentenced to life in prison. That was a freaky case, yeah. too. This case, just like uh, so much to unpack here. Did he go to law school? That's a very important point that i don't think i heard you say uh, he about. says he graduated from emory law school oh that's right you said okay he says he says right i don't know that we necessarily have any evidence that he has isn't that, that something that to. you should be able to check out you can i think the they'll be able to check that out pretty easily um in unpacking this case but the thing is you can't just practice law after you've graduated from law school just because right. you graduated from law school doesn't mean you're fit to practice law right that's why they have the whole bar exam. And the licensing, right? Yeah. Um, because you can graduate from law school, like myself, and have no legal skills. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. So it's interesting. Um, yeah. Huh. The whole thing. But, like, it reminded me of the guy that was practicing as a doctor and kept yes. getting caught doing that. But yes. I think it's a little bit offensive that he's comparing himself to Rosa Parks. It's incredibly offensive. Um because it doesn't, he clearly doesn't seem fit to practice law. And if he even registered to take the bar, which there's no indication that he even registered to take the bar or and failed it or like what, and they clearly found him unfit to. Yeah, well, he has law. schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. And that's not to say that people with those conditions can't function normally in society. There's but probably a lot of lawyers that have bipolar disorder that practice law successfully but you know if you're not following the proper channels and you're running yeah. around telling everyone that you're a licensed attorney that's fraud so and like in the proper route to contest that is to file a discriminatory suit yeah against the, the state bar like it's not to just be like oh, i'm gonna go ahead and do it 
But, you know, attorneys also don't say you're going to die today. B-I-T-C-H. That is also true. I mean, they just don't interact. Maybe like he that. maybe he missed that part, and, and maybe maybe he missed that, that day in class. The class on how to communicate the, with your the clients. The class on not threatening your <laughs> clients. And then you know the fact that he's saying you know they didn't pay me in full, so I didn't provide the full service is also yeah. like not a thing. Yeah, <laughs> you can't take somebody's money and then not perform. Right. You have to either perform or give them their money back. There is no, like, they didn't pay me the full, so I'm not going to do the full. I mean, it doesn't sound like he did anything for any of these cases. Yes. So Like, there's no way. He could have only, at best, like, filed complaints with the court, right? I don't even think he did that. He he could not have, like, shown up in court and actually, because they would have certainly picked him up earlier if he'd done that, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, It's interesting. And we'll see how this plays out in a court of law. But, like, really? Stop comparing yourself to Rosa Parks. (laughs) There's nothing about what you're doing that's, like, similar in any way, shape, or form. No. Okay? Um, And then the second of all that's really disturbing is that he's the brother of that. um, Yeah. That posted on Facebook. The whole Like, that's just creepy. Clearly, there's a lot of craziness going on in that family that's not okay. Yeah. Okay, so that's pretty much all I have. Do you have anything else you want to add before we wrap this one up for the day? I don't. That was a pretty wild one to end on. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I'd save that one for last on purpose because I knew you were going to love it. Yeah. Um, okay, so um, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can shoot us an email. We're at the podcast at gmail.com. We do post on social media. What's that at, Dars? Yeah, we are at the BFD podcast on Instagram. So. This might be a full collage of pictures this week because we covered so many different things. <laughs> well, I think we'll definitely have to post like a, some pictures, a comparison picture of uh, Caitlin Armstrong. Like how different she looks. Did you see yeah. the before and after? I did not. She full on had plastic surgery. I don't know that she just had her nose done, but she looks very different in the, the capture I was going to say, because like that receipt for 6000 bucks, like if that's what a, a nose job costs in Costa Rica, I cannot imagine what it costs to pay cash for a nose job in the States. Oh, and I forgot to tell you, somebody messaged me about this case on Insta saying she's friends with Colin. What? Yeah. And she was like, this is a crazy case. This woman's name is Michelle. And she basically messaged me and was like, hey, do you, you know, she posted an article about something and she said, do you know if the sister assisted her? And I think she had to have had some kind of family assistance to be able to get away with all this and wow. leave the country and all that. She, Someone had to have helped her. Yeah, because they're not saying whose passport it was. So I guess she's a local in that area as well. And she said, it's been interesting watching the local cycling community deal and react to this whole thing. Yeah. It's definitely created a divide. Really? Yeah, she said, but mass shootings seem to have taken the large media outlets focus off this murder, but it's still definitely in the air here in Austin. How has it created a divide? Um, I don't know. That's interesting. Um, She says, I know him, and there are two sides to the story. It's unfortunate that his life is greatly impacted by her decisions. I never met her and only knew Colin through the cycling community, but I've known him for well over a decade, and he's extremely nice and not arrogant at all. Lots of roadies, crit races, as lots of roadies and crit races can be. He's always been genuinely appreciative for the support once he did go pro, and now that's all gone. So basically, Hmm. she ended the lives of three people. I mean, effectively. I mean, she didn't kill Colin, but like, I mean, can you imagine this poor guy? People probably think he's somehow involved and like... Maybe that's what the divide is that she was referencing. Interesting. Um, Scary, right? That she would just go off like that in just a blink of an eye and Hmm. change everyone's lives in that community, change the lives of the families that are involved and just, it's awful. Um, But anyway, I thought that was interesting that that particular person had reached out to me and said, I know this person and like, this is a crazy case. Yeah. Like we love it. And that was on Instagram. So like, if you guys want to message us and chat with us, we're happy to interact with you and share the knowledge that we have. And um, Super interesting stuff. Please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild cases. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your very best life. Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs>